0: Enjoy the episode. Very welcome, George Carl, to the podcast. The 2012 13 NBA Coach of the Year, George Carl most recently served as head coach of the Sacramento Kings from 2015 to 2016. Carl's NBA coaching career has included time with the Cleveland Cavaliers, Golden State Warriors, Seattle Supersonics, Milwaukee Bucks, Denver Nuggets, and the Sacramento Kings. While with the Denver Nuggets, Carl became the seventh NBA coach to record 1,000 career wins. Throughout his career, Carl collected 1,175 wins and over 22 winning seasons with a 58% winning percentage. He also led his team to 22 postseason appearances, including the NBA Finals in 1996 with the Seattle Supersonics. Coach Carl, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me. It'll be an interesting venture. I always love talking basketball and You've been recommended by John Welsh, and my son. So uh, let's go. Let's
0: do it. Yeah, it's been fun. Been fun to get to know your son and uh, John as well. So, uh, Coach, one of your your quotes, my philosophy to coaching in life has always been about being truthful, honest, and real. Can you talk about that in terms of your philosophy and how that's influenced how you coached?
1: You know, I've coached through a lot of generations, a lot of decades of uh, different type of player. I think most people know that today's player is totally different than the player. I started coaching in the seventies and eighties. Um, the game has become entertainment and business more than going to the gym and kicking somebody's butt and enjoying competition. And the spirit of the game I think has really changed a great deal. And, uh, along with our society, our social situation, and I think in life in general, I think uh, the internet era of life has created this tremendous information flow, uh, but it also has created dishonesty and disruption and discrediting and a degree of selfish ignorance a little bit that scares me. So, yeah, I've always kind of been a straight shooter. Uh, I want I wanted to be coached that way when I was growing up. I was coached hard by my high school coach. I wouldn't say Carolina is a hard coaching, but it, it is demanding, detailed, and very disciplined. And I needed that when I went to college. So, I I think I've been blessed by. A very tough minded high school coach, and then Dean Smith and Bill Guthridge and John Lotz and Roy Williams and Eddie Fogler and guys like that. I've been blessed. I mean, I'm going to college, I never thought I would ever stay in the gym and be a basketball guy. I thought I was gonna be a lawyer or maybe a politician or maybe work with kids uh, and uh, somehow,
0: some way, I've stayed in the gym for over forty years. That's not a bad way to live. Incredible and incredible success throughout your career and obviously adaptability to what you just talked about. Uh, But I want to take you back a little bit because the NBA, as you said, has changed, especially defensively, because you were one of the pioneers of a really aggressive defensive approach, Uh, Bob Kloppenberg, SOS, switching, denial, some of these different things that uh, we don't see as much in the game anymore. And I'm wondering if you think that's something that should be making a comeback a little bit. Well, Coach
1: Gergeridge and I talk about once a, once a month or once every two weeks about the game, the state of the game, and where the game is. And I think the pro game right now, could, could I think it's tilting a little bit back to the defense. This year, scoring is down, field goal percentage is down, pace is down. Um, and what's funny is Kobe, my son, coaches a, a G League team, in Philadelphia, and Wilmington for the 76ers, and his team wins with defense, and it's the first time I've ever seen that in a G League, a G League team winning with a defensive presence more than an offensive presence, and I think the trend in the NBA right now is you cannot play players that can't play defense. I think it's getting more and more dangerous to have that non-defensive mentality superstar or just damn good all-star type player. Uh, why? Because the efficiency of the offensive game is high. And, and, and you know, the, the good NBA teams score over one point per possession. Um, and, they, and they know how to put more possessions in the game than you normally put into the game. I remember I remember a long time ago, I read something by Red Arbach. And his he says one of my simple philosophies is shoot the ball more than the other team shoots it. And you know, that's kind of my my thing was I wanted to play fast and pace and play quicker than everybody else because the defense is weaker in my mind. It's more fun to play that way, and you can be more demanding. Uh, what I loved over the last ten or fifteen years of trying to coach fast. I've always coached fast. I've always liked fast. But you know, when we had success with it in the in the 2012 and 2013 year after Melo's trade, uh, everybody called it street ball. And now everybody's playing it. I don't know what they call it, but I think more and more coaches are figuring it out because that, I think it takes, as a coach, from a coach to the team, I think it takes more discipline for a coach to play fast than allowing, more. if you let me control all the possessions and control a vast majority of everything, I have I have somewhat control. As we by playing fast, you're giving up at least 30 to 40 possessions. Okay, see what you got, guys. Let's, let's, let's make it happen. So I think coaches are understanding that fast is not always that easy to coach and, and to put shot selection, no turnovers, an offensive efficiency on the, in the, in, in the, in the personality of your team. And what I think is funny about everything today is I think in a lot of ways, the NBA game mimics the ABA game of the seventies. You know the game that we brought in with the three-point shot and some of the crazy games that everybody's saying, "Oh, that's just street ball. That's not, that's not basketball." Well, guess what? That's how the NBA is playing right now. It's a very free, loose system. The vast majority of teams play play with pace, and uh, and the three-point shot is becoming um, an incredibly invali- uh, incredible valuable shot to the game of
0: basketball. it's such a great connection to connect it back to the ABA coach, except for the ball, obviously, but uh,
1: no. Why don't we have a red, white, and blue ball?
0: I don't know. FIBA, we love the FIBA ball, don't we?
1: (laughs) Well, I'm just saying, I don't understand why. Okay, screw the pro, screw the NBA, but why doesn't college have it? Yeah. Why doesn't college have, okay, when you play the Carolina, you got a a light blue and white and, you know, and then when you play, uh, you know, Syracuse is a red, white, and blue ball. I mean, you could have all types of marketing things here. that I, I have no idea why the bias of, oh, that ball is just like it's, you know, like Red Arbuck, I think, said it should be in a circus with a clown. The truth of the matter is the ball that the ABA played with was better than the NBA ball. And I think it helps coaching because the spin of the ball and the coming off the fingers, I think it actually helps teaching shooters to shoot the ball correctly. So I have no idea the attitude of when the NBA and ABA merge, oh, we don't want the ball. Well, we're (laughs) in the marketing now today, and it looks like a pretty damn good marketing idea that we should have the ball in the game of
0: basketball. Absolutely. Looks like a great idea. And uh, coach, you, you talk about fast, and I think the word that you use a lot and you reference is flow on offense. Can you talk a little bit about that philosophy of getting players to flow? Because you've also talked in some other situations about. Coaches giving more freedom to players, and it seems like we're in that era where this conceptual offense, this flow offense, is a big part of the game, and that's up about for a while.
1: Well, you know, I don't know. I got bored with the game a little basketball around 20, 2010 2011 Everybody was playing the same way, and I, I befriended uh through John Welsh uh, Vance Wahlberg, and we caught talked about you know dribble drive basketball and changing the kind of the principles of execution to more space oriented basketball and allowing the individual to create the play, the basketball play rather than the coach dictating the execution of the play. And to be honest with you, that's the way I like to play. I mean, I in high school, I scored over hundred points a game with my team. I love to play fast. Uh, Carolina, we averaged 90 points a game, my three years in the seventies without this clock and without the three point shot, we still averaged 90 points a game. Um, uh, so I've always been with fast. I've always been with fast, but the, the, the flow came with understanding that it's hard to play fast all the time. The game allows you to maybe dictate the, as the game goes on, how to play faster, but early in the game, it's hard to have fast, but it's not hard to have flow. Flow is a rhythm. Flow is a feeling. Flow is an enjoyment. And, uh, you know, I watched uh, the two, two things I watched when I was looking at Vance Wahlberg stuff was the Spanish soccer team of, their, of, of like 2012 and 2016 and how they passed the ball really quick without, t- without holding and then I know, I know of the San Antonio philosophy of one set. You got one second to make your decision. And I've, I've used that. I've used no, I, I want no hold basketball. I want you to catch and play, catch and pass, catch and shoot, catch and attack. But I don't want you to hold and help the defense. So, you know, my, my label was not one second, but no hold. And, uh, And all I tried to do through playing fast was speed up the decisions of the game, which creates energy, in my opinion, creates positive energy and flow to the offense, having the advantage rather than the defense, having the advantage. Five on five offense is hard. I don't care where you're coaching. Five on five offense is difficult. So the more possessions you get by rhythm and flow of your, of your offensive philosophy, by ball movement, quick ball movement, and quick, quick attacks, and then finding the open man. Um, the principles of North Carolina basketball playing fast is still here. I mean, good shot selection, no turnovers, move the ball. Don't don't try to make the hard play. Make the easy play. Make the game simple. Um, all that is kind of the flow that I'm, I was searching for. And then the other team I studied was Oregon football when uh, the guy used TLA Chip was at Oregon.
0: Yeah. yeah, with Chip Kelly. Yeah,
1: yeah. and I studied him and, and how fast he played. And then I talked to other college football coaches and how they were complaining that we have too many possessions in the game of basketball. And that, flag, that flashback to Red Auerbach telling me, well, the team that has the most possessions usually wins. And so it's kind of a simple philosophy because, you know, my playbook went from 50 plays to, you know, 10, you know, and most of my plays were out of timeouts and on sideline out of bounds or baseline out of bounds. And so you were teaching shot selection, spacing, ball movement, but you weren't, you weren't exactly teaching angles and how to set a screen and how to read a screen. It was more of spacing and cutting and how to get letting the ball have space to breathe. And then when to cut, when to cut out of the corners, when to hold the corners and all. So the, the game changed. It, it was exciting to learn the new game. And then when we made the mellow trade, uh, we we kind of went from an isolation team and a flow team. The second unit played flow. The first unit played on, mellow ball. And to be honest with you, um, I was surprised how much the players enjoy doing. Mm. I mean, I remember when we traded for Chauncey Billups. You know, Chauncey came in very much a in all the all the years in Detroit, low possession game, you know, execution minded game. Um, and Chauncey was, a, you know, he, he was a little leery of playing this fast. But I bet you if you called Chauncey up today, he'd tell you it was some of the most funny he had playing the game of basketball. Even though I don't think he's a very fast point guard, point guard leader. Right. He know, he, But he understood that the shots that we did in the open court were better than the shots than we got
0: in the half court. I, I love the quote, quote, flow is an enjoyment because that, that describes it. And you've also talked in other interviews about shots that, you know, wouldn't be allowed five to ten years ago are now allowed, like a step back three. And then the other thing that you said, and I love you to comment on this, that shots that are okay analytically might not be okay chemistry wise, and that connects back to what you said about flow as an enjoyment.
1: Well, you know, when I first initially went to the dribble drive, I called it the, I called it the the this is passing game. Mm. I don't want to. I don't want to stop some of the old school stuff, but spacing in my mind has moved ahead of probably screen setting, attacking the paint. And how do you get into the paint and read the main and make the defense get into recovery? I mean, I go back all the way to Chuck Daly who told me that, you know, the, the simplest offense in basketball is get the defense in recovery or help and keep it in help. And That's all basically dribble drive is create a defensive mistake and keep them in defensive mistake reactions, recovery, you know, and and somewhere along the way, they'll make a mistake and give you a layup or three the two shots that you want. And, and also the shot, I don't think is emphasized enough in the dribble drive is getting fouled. I mean, if, if you have a guy that can, you can win the free throw line. I still think that is a, in my opinion, the layup is still the number one shot and free throw just by a little bit is more important than the three ball. Even though I think 90% of the world right now probably thinks the three ball is the most important shot.
0: Hey coach, brief introduction from the podcast. Have you heard of Spotify Green Room? Spotify Green Room is a free audio only social media platform for sports fans. Start enjoying ongoing conversations, watch games together, react to the biggest news, rumors and games. Talk with other sports fans, insiders, athletes, and executives in real time. I host a room every Tuesday at 9 p.m. Come through and talk with me live. All you need to do is download the Spotify Green Room app free in the iOS or Android app store. Create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the conversation. Follow me at B-Ball Immersion on Twitter to be notified when my room goes live. Such an interesting thing. Like, obviously, the three is, is the, the most obvious thing that's happening in the game. But as you said, this intent to get rim, this intent to get fouled at the rim is, is prevalent in the analytics game that is this modern game. But this has always existed. It's just that through the generations, I imagine what you've witnessed is that the game gets called differently. And we're seeing that this year, aren't we?
1: I, I think it's, no one's talking about it, but the game is being refereed differently this year than, than I've ever seen. Uh, they bring in physicality back in. They've, they've blamed it on the shooter, creating the contact. Uh, I thought they started doing it at the end of last year in the playoffs. I thought they opened that window up. I think, in general, the coaches want more physicality. And I think I think the game needs more physicality. The game has gotten to be re- – I mean, last couple of years, I've actually watched college games that were more physical than pro games. And I didn't think – you know, we – our athletes, I mean, we, we just got to – you know, coaches and players will will react to whatever rule interpretations they bring to the game and try to figure it out and try to make it an advantage to them. And that's the greatness of the game, right? In my opinion, the thing I love about basketball is is constantly evolving. The coach I was in the '70s and '80s, I'm totally different now. The coach I I was and what coach my son is, we're totally different. But In the same sense, we're also very similar. You know, kind of reminds me a little bit when I met John Wooten and I I got to spend three days with him at one of his fantasy camps. And I was amazed how that he and Dean Smith were very different in so many ways. But in the same sense, they were so much alike in so many ways. And it kind of gave me the feeling that the, the fundamentals of the game of basketball can be different, but your basic foundations of philosophy of how to win and and what's important probably are very similar in in many many ways. I've always enjoyed being more of an out of a box coach than than buying everything that's in the box. Um, but in the same sense, I mean, there are great coaches that and the and the game has had great coaches that have not gotten a lot of like. Bill Fitch and Dick Mata and uh, you know Pete Noel and Jerry Tarkaney. And I mean, there's so many great coaches, Bob Kloppenberger. I mean, Bob Kloppenberg's defense of book, every, every, every high school coach should read it or should at least know about it, because it's 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 not gonna go away. And I have and you just going back to the earlier subject, I think the game is ready for more pressure defense more aggressive defenses um i i I befriended a high school coach here and and he and i talked about my thoughts and he is running a Loyola marymont offense he picks up after every make in a one two one one he demands he demands the shot to be taken within 12 seconds it's an all white, almost an all white school, and they average over 100 points a game in the first four games this year. So, you know, playing fast can be done by, doesn't have to have athletes and speed and quickness. It's got to have a coach that's committed to doing it that way. And he plays one, two, one. He also has a run and jump. Carolina's run and jump. Uh, he has double teams on post ups. No, nobody posts up at high school anymore, anyways. But I mean, he has everything. Kind of what I wanted. I wish more coaches in the NBA would have some courage to do. But the the thing has become pressure in the NBA is the shot clock. The shot clock is how to take maybe five to ten seconds off the shot and make make the offensive team play against the shot clock. Well, that's not working very much anymore because there's not very many shot clock violations as much as they once were.
0: Well, you referenced Bob Klappenberg, and I had some good fortune to spend some time with Bob at some clinics and different things and got to know him. And the one thing, I mean, we talk about denial on defense, and that was one thing. He was so big on smother and deny and these different things that are super aggressive. And you're saying there's a place for these to come back into the game. And we're kind of seeing that you referenced Chauncey Billups, that Portland's trying to be more aggressive in some of their coverages. And right now it's not working. But that is a question of, is it personnel or is it passion? And at what point does a coach give up their passion to account for the personnel? Or is this something that a coach like that should stick with? Because over the long haul, this is going to help shift their team and their program.
1: Well, your conversation there throws back my head to when I went from Seattle to Milwaukee. And I remember the first month of training camp in Milwaukee that all the defensive stuff that we did in Seattle that was really, really fun and effective, I didn't have a skill player, defensive skilled players with Ray Allen, Sam Cassell, and Glenn Robinson and a little bit Tim Thomas. Four of my top five players, probably Tim Thomas was, and Ray Allen could be a good defender, but I don't think he gave it that fo- much focus early in his career. So, you know, we made it to the Eastern Conference Finals with that team playing zone. So I think you got to find disruptions and you got to find things that you can have in your pocket as a coach, but they got to fit your team. They got to fit the personality of your team. You know, but I really do think, I really think right now more and more personnel people are thinking about, and I think Golden State did this early in the in 2010, 2011. Well, you know, that Steph Curry was, I mean, but they had they had Draymond Green, uh Thompson, and then they picked up Igadala. And and they had another, they had a defender, Livingston. They had, you know, all of a sudden their, all their good players kind of had a defensive dimension to them. And I think that is now where the league is going that you cannot have an unbalanced player. you got to have a player that's going to give you an honest defensive effort
0: and also can be a hell of an offensive player. So I I love this, all this talk. And you said like this free-flowing, aggressive, fast-paced offensive system, which again, I think we're aligned with in the modern game and you have been for a while. The question is, how are you building that? Are you building that through drills and practice, through mindset, through accountability? What are the ways that you're building that?
1: Well, I think the building blocks that I have is, first of all, I'm a very demand shot selection guy. I think every player on my team in my last three or four or five years of coaching, after the mellow trade and even the crazy times in Sacramento, I was really demand i I've be- I became very demanding of shot selection. Players gotta gotta understand that every shot has a value to it. And even today, I think there's the crazy, crazy threes that we throw up. I know the analytics say that's okay. But it's not okay from the integrity of the game. The 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 honesty of the game says it's a team game, it's a Wii game and the more bad shots you take, the more you make it a me game and not a we game. Um, so, you know, I, I, think, I, I, think, I think the building block is teaching your, your philosophies but having a shot selection and a turnover demand in, com- in place. How we did that a lot is by putting – speeding up decisions. So instead of a 24-second clock, we play with a 12-second clock. And then in in four on advantage drills, five on four or four on three drills to where offense had a man advantage, we would speed that decision up to like seven seconds. And then, you know, the blood drills that Vance Wahlberg does, the two on ones and the three on two drills to find the open man to show them the simple read instead of the difficult read, especially for your non-passing players. And then I think the trend also goes back to is, you know, I fell into it when we made the mellow trade, we got Raymond Felton. So I had two Carolinas guys. And if I didn't play both of them, I was going to get yelled at by the boys back in North Carolina, not by them. (laughs) So all of a sudden Felton and, and and Ty were on the court together. And I kept going, damn, this is good. This is really good. And then we were actually we actually drafted a kid named Julian Stone. who's was a six seven six eight point guard out of UTEP, and we loved him until he got hurt, because we thought he could be that that you know that, that Paul Pressey guy that makes good decisions. And all of a sudden, I could play three guys that make good decisions. And now I look at the Chicago Bulls and. You know, they basically play four guards. The Rosen's a four. Uh, Levine, Levine is probably the three. Caruso's their two. And I don't even know. I mean, I, their starting lineup in many ways is really four guards in one big.
0: It, it's pretty cool. It's going to be fun to watch uh, the game continue to evolve. And uh, again, a lot of these things that uh, you've done before and now are just a more relevant part of it. Uh, coming back a little bit to, you know, the coaching philosophy overall, something that you seem to always enjoy is the challenge of coaching because basically I say it, there's not a, there's never a boring day, is there? That there's always something that can, you can do as a coach to create tension or relieve tension, to be able to create the environment that you want. Can you talk a little bit about some of those things that you've learned through your years?
1: Well, unfortunately the game of basketball has got uh, we're, our time in pro basketball and, and, and college basketball, I think it's the same way. AAU basketball has been disrespectful to practicing for a long, long time. But what has happened is the practice time has gone out the window. It's being shrunk. And you know, I'm not sure it's good. Load management, I think, is now being worked, is now becoming a kind of a panel. It's a it's a pedestal of If you're a really good player, if you're under load management, so all the good players, all the really good players that are the ones that are getting load management, I still think it's bad for the game. Uh, But, you know, analytics and and physiological evaluation of fatigue has now become a big part of our game. Sleep patterns are a big part of our game. I believe in all that because I think mental flow comes by being a professional to your body. but the building blocks of and now i forgot the question i'm supposed to be answering but
0: well you uh, talk about a little bit about how your philosophy you know connected with players in the sense that you wanted to challenge them but at the same time you wanted to create positive energy which is essentially what you're talking about anyways right now
1: yeah players like playing fast and so you know you can make the challenge i mean the whole thing comes down to is it's, you know, the commitment to play fast is a coaching decision because you're giving up some of your control. And I even see this year more and more team coaches are kind of taking back control of the game. Then maybe the crazy year that we were in the bubble, everybody kind of just played crazy summer league basketball, shoot it fast, let's experiment a little bit with the game, see what works, see what doesn't work. And and I think last year was even a little bit of an experimental year. And sometimes I feel, even this year, the NBA is a little drunk on trying to figure out how where where they want to be. With I, I don't I don't think there's many teams in the NBA right now well grounded in who they are yet. Other than maybe Phoenix and Utah and in Golden State, and I, I like a little bit. I think Memphis is a team that's going to play well. I think Charlotte's playing well because their foundation is pretty well dominating. They they're they're committed to it. I guess is the best way to phrase it. Um, but I think coaches that want to play fast, players will. It's easy to get a buy in on it. Uh, and the whole thing again is what. I think in today's game, there's limited time. So as a coach, we got to communicate better to the time that we have them. And so 10 years ago, we talked about, you know, guys that had attitude problems or ego management problems, and that would take like five or 10 minutes. You know, coach, you take him, I got him, you get him. Today, that's a little longer. It takes a little longer than that. Because you have more agent involvement, you have more management involvement. You're not on the practice court as much, so you're you got you got to touch them somehow, some way. Video has become. I don't trust video. But a lot of coaches think video is the answer. I don't think it's the answer. I still think repetition and and going on the court is the best way to teach basketball. And. And, a bit, and I think the thing that I think coaches, more coaches should do. And again, they're giving a little bit up their personality to do this. Make practice fun. Make practice fun. So instead of being in a, a whipping post or a demanding disciplinary, you know, militaristic attitude in practice and make the game enjoyable, you know, play with number games, play a lot of games, uh, you know, don't be afraid to loosen up a little bit, I guess is what I'm telling some of the old school coaches.
0: That, that's good. Can you give us some other examples of making practice fun? Because I agree. I mean, just style of play that you described is more fun for players as you referenced that high school coach where the kids are playing this fast style and free-flowing offense. But uh, what are some other ways to make it more fun?
1: I think one thing I learned, I actually learned John Welsh beat it in my brain somehow after about three years of telling John to go screw himself. <laughs> Uh, you know, all my life I always started my practice with defense, and John finally talked me into starting more of my practices with offense, and offensive games like three on three, four on four, four on four on four, and and work on your offense early. Defense has a a way of fatiguing, fatiguing the mind especially, but also. Uh, I can run a defensive drill for 20 minutes and my team will be dead. And so, instead of doing that every day, I, I, I started flip-flopping. Offense starts practice one day, defense the next day. And, and I, I play every day. Everybody goes, you're kidding me. You play basketball. I, I scrimmage I, Every day I go on the court, I'm playing a basketball game. I don't know if it'll be end-of-game situations or sideline outbound situations. We're playing basketball. I think too much, too much of our practices have become, you know, more individual, more station-oriented, more two-on-two, three-on-three breakdowns. You know, uh, the, game, the, the best game of basketball I have found over the years is four-on-four on, four on about a 70-foot court. And and, and, go, and, and and basically, you don't have to take the ball out of bounds. You know, Doug Moe put it in what called the beat beat game a long time ago where he wanted to speed us up so that there was no out-of-bounds. So as soon as the ball is out-of-bounds, the referee pointed that direction and how you got it in, it was fine. You can dribble it in. You can throw it in. So any anything that, you know, again, speed up decisions. Uh, and then, and also working with players. Because big guys sometimes get lost in the sped-up game. And the truth of the matter is, I'm not anti-big. I'm anti-bad decisions. I'm anti-bad passers. I'm anti-guys that don't have a feel for the game. And I think what you're seeing more and more are big guys are going out to the perimeter more and more often. Because big is still pretty good. You still need big every once in a while. But speed and athleticism is definitely something that I think coaches now are searching for more than ever.
0: Well, I couldn't agree more with the concept of playing more basketball in practice because, again, you're talking about fun. Players want to play basketball. And, uh, you know... As I, I you, mean, as for our,
1: our, our first practice, our first practice, we scrimmaged. We scrimmaged usually two quarters. And, you know, we have a, you know, we get, we get right into it. Coaching the game as it's being played, there are assistant coaches that are really, really good at that. Find one of those guys. Because I don't like slowing down practice with a lot of words. I want kind of the coaching being on the move, maybe in 30-second segments, but I don't want a five-minute lecture in the middle of my practice.
0: Couldn't agree more. And, And the players don't want it either. So play more basketball, short bursts of information, coach them while they're playing. And you already referenced kind of this small sided game or these constraint based games where you change the rules a little bit to shape something and learning and just tremendous stuff. So building on that coach, I'm wondering what, what do you see as the opportunity for coaching to improve over the next few years then? And you've talked about this part of it, which is coaches playing more basketball in practice. Are there some other areas where you can see for coaches improving?
1: Uh, uh, You know, my big thing is making, you know, we we use the word culture. You know, the culture of your gym. I want my gym to be about playing basketball, not by, I don't want my gym to be a workout gym. The NBA, the gym has become a workout gym. Okay, whose workout is it from 10 to 1030? Oh, it's those, we got two guards working out. And then at 10.30, the big guys come in and you big man drills. And then, you know, you might have a, a shooting drill. All of a sudden, we are doing individual skill development where basketball, knowing how to play basketball, can be taught. And if a guy's a bad decision maker, he can become a better decision maker. If he's a bad shot selection, he can change his shot selection. We just demand that more than coach it. And I think the more you play three-on-three, three, I know people think I was crazy, but my last couple of years here in Denver, um, you know, guys have a warm-up protocol before a game. Well, we started playing three-on-three three before the game. Mm-hmm. Why? Because the guys liked it. And I got a couple of guys hurt. You know, I think Dante Jones sprained an ankle just before a big game. And I got yelled at by my front office that you can't do this. You can't play three-on-three. Three. And I say, I think you're crazy. I think it's mad. why we're, we're, we have an edge right now is we're doing things that no one else is doing. So I think that coaches have courage to do things maybe uh, outside the box and don't follow the norm of copycat. Coaching, as I call it. And uh, and you know, th- there's a lot of room. Like I th- you know, I tell Kobe all the time, you know, Kobe's my son is experimenting with boxing one and dime at triangle and two. I he's run it a couple times. I think it's really good. I remember we ran a box and one defense when I coached at Real Madrid. And the guy who we only ran it after we made threes. So when we made a three, we were in boxing one. And the guy that made the three could pick up anybody he wanted to pick up. So it was just a fun gimmick to the game of basketball. Then I still, there could be more of that. Uh, The one-zone defense, I think, has not been tried over the last, the last team I remember doing it well was the Lakers, maybe the 80s, 70s and 80s, is the 1-3-1. The 1-3-1 used to be kind of a mainstay in NBA basketball. I haven't seen it in a long time. And I, you know, I know uh, the, uh, the coach from Michigan, I forget is the guy that, I think uh, was that John went King. to Cleveland. John Deline. Yeah. yeah. I think he's messed around with the one three one at Cleveland a couple of years ago, but uh, I think, you know, the, the things that, you know, pick and roll was out of the game for over 30 years. And now pick and roll is the prominent defense, offensive of, our, of the game today, so What's going to I, I constantly ask coaches when I talk to them, what's going to be the next
0: big thing about the game of basketball? Well, switching I mean, has become that, right? To a certain extent defensively. And that didn't exist for the longest time in the professional and college level.
1: No, I, you know, I, I've actually talked to Gerg and a couple other matchup guys. Yeah. I think it's a combination of his own and matchup and man to man and matchup. Yeah, I know I know. Kloppi's defense is strong side man-to-man, weak side zone, uh, which I think is a great concept. But now no one takes the ball to the side very often. It's usually in the middle of the court.
0: Floor, yeah. uh,
1: so, you know, there's a lot of things. Where,
0: well, there's it's, someone it's, out there. Isn't the challenge for coaches, and we know this, there's so much money on the line, it's hard to be innovative, right? It's much easier to focus on job preservation and do what others are doing. And you referenced Europe, and that's a big thing. A lot of these innovations seem to come from Europe or lower levels because coaches seem to have to be more innovative to try and be successful, right?
1: I think not only innovative to be successful, innovative because their talent level has to be lifted somehow. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the philosophy of how you play has got to fit the, the talent of, you know, a high school can have a 6'11 guy one week, one year, and then the next 10 years, they might not have a center over 6'4. And so you must adapt to your personality in some ways. But I agree with you, European basketball, but also high school basketball. I mean, there are a lot of great coaches. High school coaches that don't get the love they deserve. I tell people all the time that Morgan Wooden was one of Coach Smith's best friends. And I think more so than anybody, when Coach Smith got lost, he went to Morgan Wooden, high school coach.
0: Hey, Coach. We have a new sponsor that you guys are going to love. Symbol is the stock market for sports that allows you to profit off your sports knowledge. On Symbol, you can trade sports teams like stocks, and every time your team wins, you earn cash. Using your sports knowledge on Symbol to buy low, sell high, and earn cash payouts when your team wins. Join the 7,000-plus early adopters who have started to invest in their favorite team. Visit www.symbol.com to create a free account. And when you deposit, make sure you use the promo code SD to make your deposit risk-free. Love that. And I love that phrasing, by the way, talent level has to be lifted. And it's so true. And uh, coach, I couldn't couldn't have you on here and not kind of have you give some advice to coaches. I mean, especially say young coaches coming up now, someone like yourself, uh, all-time win list, incredible career. What are some things that you now would suggest to young coaches to be able to help develop their Network and their knowledge?
1: Well, first thing Coach Smith ever told me about coaching is 90% of all coaches overcoach. I still think that's true today. Uh, Trust, if you want to build a team that has trust and belief in each other, you from day one has to start with showing them that you trust them. And you got to do that in a mode of correction. Coaching is correcting. Again, the basketball is a game of mistakes. So, how do you correct in a positive way? I mean, I've had this talk with my assistant coaches a thousand times. I'm going to wear the black hat tonight. You guys gotta wear the white hat. I'm gonna go after him. Someone's gotta pick him up. Because the truth of the matter is our mind works better in positive atmospheres. So if I throw a punch at a player, a verbal punch on how how he's playing then that the next two or three punches got to be positive and I'm not capable of doing that so your assistants got to be a big monitor of positivity energy positivity um, not don't let losing streaks bother you losings a part of the process um, the other thing is prioritize. You you know in the in the in the coaches meeting you might be a genius, but when you walk on that practice court, the coaches who are geniuses get the job done. And too many times there's too much clutter in the practice plan to get the job done. In the NBA, after a you know you're on a two or three game losing streak, your list of what's broken might have seven or eight things on it, but you only have time to fix one or two. And I don't know where I learned it, but I've become very good at, okay, I know our transition defense sucks, but this team we're playing that tomorrow doesn't run that much. We better fix our rebounding and our boxing out. You know, whatever it comes down to. You got to prioritize a little bit at a practice time. Over coaching, positivity.
0: I love that. Coach, just before you go, like, I want to come back to that uh, challenging players and, like what people don't understand about coaching is a lot of those moments are orchestrated, right? And you referenced telling your assistants that you're going to go after them a little bit so that they're balancing it with the positivity. And people don't understand that most of the moments coaches have like that are not these emotional reactions. They're orchestrated to be able to create a different environment, a different flow, whatever it may be, aren't they?
1: Oh, I don't think there's any question that... um, And and having coachable players Mm -hmm. is a gift. I mean, and then when your best player is a coachable leader, that's a tremendous gift in the NBA. Uh, And, and, you know, the more you can give leadership of the team to the team and let them police themselves is a gift. You know, if I have, if I just, I tell Popovich all the time, I say, you don't coach in the NBA. He's coached, I mean, he might be coaching the NBA these last five or six years. But when he was coaching Tim Duncan and David Robinson and the Ginobili, guys that were great leaders and committed, hardworking son of a bitches. You know, you know, a lot of, a lot of NBA coaches got to motivate the attitude, uh, kind of connect the egos and cheerlead along the way and then kick them in the ass along the way, so... You know, I, I don't know who told me once, but a kick in the butt is six inches away from, from a pat on the back. And there, there's a lot of truth to that. Some days it's about kicking them in the butt, and some days it's about shutting your mouth up and patting them on the back.
0: Coach, I imagine there's a few other things, and uh, one of them I know that you have already referenced, all these great people that you've worked with on your coaching staff. Can you talk a little bit about surrounding yourself with good people as well?
1: Well, I think the biggest mistake a uh, first time – coach makes is hiring a staff he hires people that are comfortable to him and don't get me wrong I think every coaching staff should have a comfortable coach but I think you gotta hire the best basketball people and I think sometimes you're that first time coach coach, and now you have management involved with coaches you know management now is hiring the coaches I don't understand how that works because I don't think it could work for me. But I think hiring the right people is a, is a talent of good, good NBA, good coaches in the world. And, uh, and, and don't get me wrong. There are more, there are more good coaches out there than ever before, but there are also more frauds out there than ever before. So I think if I, and I've told my son this, I said, Kobe, If you ever get the break to be an NBA coach, you should have a list of guys today that you want on your staff. And you got to scout those guys. You got to figure out what those guys are. And, you know, I've been lucky. I mean, I've fallen into really good coaches. Tim Gergeridge goes back to my days in Pittsburgh. Cloppy was in Seattle. Terry Stotts and Dwayne Casey. I got lucky and made good choices when I went to Seattle. Um, uh, I've had good mentorships through Rick Majerus, Dell Harris, Don Nelson, Larry Brown, Doug Moe. I mean, a lot of these guys, have. I want you to know, have kicked me in the ass a lot for how egotistical I've been or how I open my mouth up too much. You got to have someone on your staff that can walk up to you and says,
0: George, the team's fucked up, but you're also fucked up. So important to have those people with you, isn't it? (laughs) Right. And so fun. It's so fun to be able to coach with people who can add to what you do to add value to you and obviously can help hold you accountable as well and uh, just tremendous stuff.
1: One last thing is I've, I've I've always said this to a lot of young coaches and Coach Smith said it to me about 20 times. He asked me one day, he said, George, why, why do you stand up the whole game and run and yell and scream all the time? And I go, well, I, got, I, want to, I want to show my positivity, my enthusiasm, my energy. And he turned to me and he said, you know, George, he said, the best games I've ever coached are the games I don't have to coach. I love and that. <laughs> you, got, you got to think about that a little bit, but it's the truth
0: it means you did your work in practice. You trust the players and they're playing well, right? That That's a part of it too. The players have to be accountable for that to happen as well.
1: Yeah. And 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 then when they play um, in an NBA, NBA game, you don't ever play 48 minutes well. You're always going to get punched for five minutes or 10 minutes of a game. And you got to allow them sometimes to work it out themselves. And when that happens, I think players feel more trust and more connection, more power.
0: They absolutely do. And uh, that's a part of it too, in terms of calling timeouts, right? Like let them play through sometimes instead of call the timeout and control the game. Was that something you were exposed to early in FIBA, like coaching European basketball?
1: Uh, I got caught in FIBA too often not knowing how to call timeout and not knowing, you know, always kind of thinking I have seven timeouts when you have one timeout. I have. So it's, it was different in FIBA. I mean, there's no question that I think the Europeans probably someday might be in America because of the timeout situation that the NBA is used to. You know, we're used to timeout, move to midcourt, that split play. Uh, they just don't have that. That that creativity and the FIBA game. But Coach Smith also was a believer. He told me a lot of times, he said, George, you know, the, the Dickie by, Dick Vitale timeout is overrated. You know, he says, My 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 advice to you is save your timeouts for when it matters. And it matters ninety-nine percent of the time at the end of the game, more than in the middle of a game.
0: Great advice. Absolutely true. And we don't have to call a timeout every time the other team has a big play, right? And that seems to be this de facto thing that analysts especially say, oh, they should have called a timeout because the other team dunked. But really, it's a process you're going to get scored on and these things are going to happen. You have to learn how to play through.
1: Sometimes the best defensive possession in the game could be the game that you give up a dunk. You play 22 good seconds of basketball and the guy makes a great play and a great player grants the dunk. Good job, man. But the coaches, I've seen so many coaches put on a trap or a press, press defense or a pressure defense, and it really works. And you can see it getting into the other team's head. But then the other team throws a dunk lob and gets a three-point play off a dunk lob, and they never go back to it. I can't give up a layup. I can't give up a dunk. Sometimes that the weakness of the defense, if the offense is good, you're going to give up a dunk once in a while.
0: I've talked about that before. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, now that you're such a storied member of the media with your podcast, which is tremendous, by the way, thanks for doing that. Um, the media sometimes has this stereotype of what coaches should be or how coaches should be. And sometimes we fall into following that stereotype, which, as you just said, might be that example of you have to call this time out when this happens. Are there other things or maybe what's something that we would love as coaches to educate the media or the general fans about that they don't necessarily understand about coaching?
1: Well, I think the one, the one thing that comes to mind is, you know, when a player is playing well, he's playing, he's playing in a good flow, a good rhythm, you know, and you take him out of the game. Well, you know, for me, I just don't believe that extending a guy from 10 minutes to 15 minutes because he's in flow, he might also be tired. I I like, I like a rhythm of how I coach the game. The players kind of know my rhythm and to disrupt that because the guys made two jump shots in a row when I, again, I might be more attuned to letting that guy in when I play 20 games a year. But when I play a hundred games a year, I'm just worried about fatigue and injuries, and and so in the NBA, there's more. I think I think coaches get criticized for taking guys out when they're hot. Well, I need him to be hot in the fourth quarter. I don't need him to be hot at the beginning of the game.
0: Right. <laughs> Well, you want them to be hot all the time, if possible. And I think that also connects back to uh, maybe on the defense, sometimes taking a player out because they have a certain number of fouls, right? And that becomes an overreaction to or something that that the media says, oh, you should have done that. But it's like, don't you want to preserve that player's flow as well sometimes?
1: I agree with that a lot. I mean, um, I, I think Europe is way ahead of us in playing guys with fouls. Uh, I have not even seen a lot of NBA guys extend the guy in the first half. Who cares if he gets four fouls? You know, most, most veteran players, most NBA pros can play with foul trouble. And I'm saying, but in the same sense, I like foul trouble as a coach sometimes because I can change the personality of the game for I have a purpose. I got to get him out of foul trouble. And so I use it more of as an excuse to get to what I call dealing the cards. Because when you start playing, your bench is where you start dealing the cards.
0: Tremendous. Just great stuff. Coach, I cannot thank you enough for sharing the game with us. Just so many incredible insights. And uh, so many coaches will have to listen to this multiple times to get all those nuggets. So thank you for sharing the game with us.
1: Well, I'm glad you're serving the game in a positive way. It seems like you got a big smile on your face most of the time. <laughs>
0: Well, I'm listening to you talk basketball. Why would that not be a smile? The only better thing might yeah. be us in a room together.
1: <laughs> well, I was mad last night. My, my man in, in Wyoming, I thought was going to play Arizona a better game and he got his ass kicked. Woo.
0: You're talking about Jeff Linder. Tremendous Jeff, coach. Jeff,
1: Jeff's a good coach.
0: Tremendous coach. Uh, and he's yeah, been man. on this podcast coach and, I know. Actually, you had a chance to visit them and watch them practice as well, didn't you? Yeah, John
1: Walsh and I went out for a day, and I spoke to their team. and I like their team. I thought their team would do better against. Them. I my impression of watching the game last night was Arizona is really good because mm-hmm. I think Jeff, I think Jeff is good enough to make the tournament, and I think he might be good enough to beat someone in the first round.
0: I agree with that, and I think Arizona is better than people expected. And they're doing a great job there with that transition as coach, too.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I saw that Chicago-Liola defense last night a little bit. I'm going, whoa. If they get to plan defense, whoo And the other thing is uh, um, the guy at Colorado State's doing a hell of a job, too.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: They're, they're, I think they're 9 and no, and now Wyoming is 8-1. And, and, you know, Joe Scott's doing a good job at Air Force Canada. A lot,
0: a lot of good coaches and a lot of uh... – <laughs> Really fun teams. And I think, and, and maybe let's get your quick thoughts on that. The college game seems to have gotten a lot better um, over the last few years in particular. And most of it seems to be on the offensive end. Whereas as I think of college basketball, I think it's dominated by defense. There's just less good players. Defense can more make more of an impact, different rules. But are we seeing a lot better offensive basketball in general in college, do you think?
1: I think so. I think the freedom of uh, letting there's more guys allowing realizing the three ball has got to be in the game. Mm -hmm. You cannot lose. You cannot be dominated by the three ball. And I'll be honest with you. I think Roy Williams was one of the last coaches that won a national championship by pounding the board and pounding the board and not being a great three point shooting team, but doing it by extra possessions and and the value of the offensive rebound and. And, and also playing very fast, but not, no. Carolina has never been a great three-point shooting team in my recollection, maybe all the way back to Ellington and Ty Lawson and, uh, and, and Danny Green and guys like that. Uh, but Danny Green wasn't a good three-point shooter until he got the pro ball. So uh, I think I, I'm watching Hubert's team play a little bit. I see him light, you know, giving the guards a little more flexibility to shoot the ball and i think that's probably i think coaches understand in college that you can win with guards you can win with you know outshooting another team and and i think the, i don't know i don't know how you feel but i think somewhere along the way maybe not in my lifetime but i think somewhere along the way and hopefully in my lifetime there's got to be a, a conversation on what to do with the three ball
0: mhm yeah, i mean
1: i'm i mean it's 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 a, the power of the three ball now you know this year i just saw in the first 25 games of the season i see 10 guys that i thought were good shooters now are great shooters patty mills i've always thought was a kind of a hot and cold guy patty mills now is a damn good shooter i mean he you want I'm him sure. shooting the ball
0: yeah
1: and and then there's this, hell, the guy in Indiana, the first round draft pick, made six threes in his first game. First quarter of, uh, of an NBA. So all of a sudden, there's so many more better shooters than ever before. The Bridges kid in Charlotte. Mm-hmm. I've been there training camp the last three years. I never thought he'd be a three-point shooter. But he is. And so... I think the game now and the coaching knows that if you take a guy out there and he shoot a thousand shots a day, they're going to get better at it. And I I just don't know if the game is made for half the shots to be three-point shots. I just don't know if that's the game that we – maybe I'm wrong. And I'm an ABA guy. I got an ABA yep. ball in my house, and I love the ABA. And it
0: it, it speaks to what you already referenced is, you know, part of this player development uh, movement has been positive for players, right? In the sense that players are way more skilled than we could ever imagined in the past somewhat because they have this dedicated performance team, this dedicated performance staff. But as you said, what hasn't adjusted is necessarily the game or the rules to the players being that much better at certain things. So do you think over time that will happen? Or do you want that to happen is more the question. Would you like to see a change in the three-point line, maybe moving it back or something like that? I would
1: like the G League to experiment with it. Mm. I don't know what that means. You know, some people saying, and this one does make sense to me, is take out the corner three. Mm. You know, move the arc back a foot uh, or just take out the corner three. Allow me to be able to roam on the bottom of the eye. I think allows me then to be more scramble or double team oriented coaches today don't want double team because they don't want to give up the wide open three or the wide open layer no it's point blank i mean but i i think there are a lot of players if you double team them <laughs> they throw to you more often they find their own man
0: yeah interesting and, and and possibly we'll see some of these more aggressive schemes that you've talked about or some of these more uh creative schemes defensively to be able to try and counter some of these things but uh yeah I mean, there's only so much you can do, can't you, against certain talented players as well?
1: Well, I mean, I mean uh, the NBA, up until this year, this year looks like we're getting defense back into the game more than ever before. Mm-hmm. But for the bat, for the bat, about the last five to seven years, offense is winning. You know offense is winning, and and I, the hand of freedom of movement is no question helps the guards. And now saying the, the, to the offensive player, you cannot gain the advantage. I think is great. But if we're going to keep the three ball where it is now, I think we got to put some hands back on the guards somewhere along the way. We can't let the little guard go wherever he wants to go without physical contact. And, you know, I mean, I, 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 I had trouble covering little guards. I was much better covering big guards because I could put the hands on them and bump and grind with them. And I, my hands were involved with the game. But no hands on the perimeter of the defense, I think is really an ugly. I think, I think, so, I mean, there's got to be something allowed again soon. In college, I think the users, I mean, they use their hands a little bit more than pro ball, but I think pro ball is still, the hands got to get back in the game.
0: Well, some uh, some bonus insights there, Coach. I can't thank you enough again. Uh, just tremendous stuff. And uh, we look forward to hearing more from you on your podcast and uh, everywhere else that we get a chance to see you. Uh, we want more George Carl everywhere. So thanks for sharing the game with us.
1: Thank you. Thank you for being a, a lover of the game. Appreciate it. Blessings.
0: Hey, Coach. The best player development is coach development. It's never too late to join basketballimmersion.com. And now we've added two more courses, one on youth basketball coaching and one on advanced pick and roll concepts. Now you have over 25 courses to be able to learn from in addition to 600 videos and 70 plus masterclasses from experts around the world. In addition to an engaged like-minded community, go to basketballimmersion.com or DM at Ball immersion on Twitter to get started today.